Oh no. I, I mean, I agree completely. I've, I've kind of taken over a, a small space in our little apartment here during the pandemic because it just, we didn't need a space for guests anymore and I'm never giving it back. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Walbin, and this is episode 186 with Jewel Pearson. I'm welcoming Jewel Pearson back to the podcast today. She was actually a guest several years ago at this point, and Jewel did a really creative and beautiful addition on her tiny house. She added a, a sunroom, which she calls the Tiny House Remix. And the moment I saw it, I knew that I needed to have her on the show to talk about it because it's just a really well done way of slightly expanding a tiny house to make it fit your needs. I think you'll be really inspired by Jewel and what she has accomplished here with her tiny house. So stick around. I want to tell you about something that I think will be super helpful as you plan, design, and build your tiny house. Tiny House Decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It comes in three different packages to help you on your unique tiny house journey. And if you're struggling to just figure out the systems for your tiny house, you know, like how you're going to heat it, how you're going to plumb it, you know, what construction technique are you going to use, like sips or stick framing or steel framing, tiny house decisions will take you through all these processes systematically and help you come up with a design that works for you. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions. For listeners of the show, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more and use the coupon code TINY at checkout for 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. All right, I am here with Jewel Pearson. After downsizing her homes and lifestyle over the course of 10 years, Jewel Pearson designed and built a beautiful tiny house in May of 2015 that she calls home. Located right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, her urban and very chic tiny home has twice been a big hit on HGTV, has been featured in numerous print mediums both nationally and internationally, and her I Live in a Tiny House docuseries feature on the Apartment Therapies, The New Homesmiths, won an award for its very real discussion and exploration into racism, housing inequality, and redefining community. A project manager by day, Jules also a tiny house advocate and community leader, sharing her experiences, offering consulting services, and teaching workshops throughout the country to assist others in achieving their tiny living dreams. Her home represents a desire that many have to reduce their ecological footprint and focus more on practices of less and sustainability. Jewel is the founder of Tiny House Trailblazers, a duo collaborating force for representation within the tiny house movement. And through partnership in the organization Recommune, she is continuing the work of changing and challenging the status quo of housing and community. Jewel Pearson, welcome back to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. So uh, you were on the show uh, where this, this, will, this episode will be in the 180s and you were episode 77, which means, well, first of all, people can go back and listen at thetinyhouse.net slash 077. But that means it's been close to two years um, since you've been on the show. And I, I know that a lot has happened for, for you and your tiny house in, in the intervening two years. Um, so can you... can. I know it's hard to sum up, but can you can you give us a summary? <laughs> in, t- in those two years. So two, if we were chatting two years ago, I just moved to a farm location closer into Charlotte than where I am now. I ended up only being there for about nine months. There were some mm-hmm. challenges, some safety issues, um, the usual rural area issues for me in that area. And so I ended up, leaving my house there for a while and having to get an apartment for a year until I figured out a location for my tiny house. And so now um, I moved it that following year to a friend's farm, which is southeast of Charlotte, about 45 minutes outside of Charlotte. And I moved back in in May of this year, May of 2021. And so I am 
this, I consider this my forever location. And I have been working on what I call my tiny house remix. So um, I added, you know, if I, I had added previously, I'd added a screened in porch to the house, um, a larger screened in porch, I should say. And so at this location, I kind of enclosed that screened in porch and added some space and I built kind of what I consider a sunroom. And so I increased my space. Uh, it's about 470 square feet now. Nice. With a new add-on. And I love it. Well, I, I want to hold on that stuff because I have a whole bunch of questions about the add-on because I think it's a brilliant, a brilliant idea. Okay. I, I'm curious, you know how the, the old saying goes, like, you don't know what you got till it's gone. I, I'm curious, did you have any realizations about your tiny house or things? Did, did you realize or learn anything about living tiny that you kind of only understood after you had to leave your tiny house? Um, having to pay rent. I was, I was in right in uptown Charlotte and my motivation every time I had to pay rent was I have got to get back into my tiny house. That was my main thing that I missed. Yeah. And then it was, it was a one bedroom, so it wasn't a large space, but I did it as I moved in, I believe it was like March the 6th. So it was just a couple of weeks before shutdown happened. Oh, And as that progressed, having neighbors so close by, you know, next door neighbors, a whole building full of people kind of um, made me long for my tiny house also because you were so dependent on people doing the right thing and, you know, who and it wasn't going well in the the apartment building. Like there were just way too many people and, and, and there wasn't a lot at that, you know, in the beginning known and and so it was just it was kind of scary to be in an, a big apartment building with a bunch of people so it made me long for my house even more and then I enjoyed being in up in you know in the Charlotte Falls there downtown uptown so I enjoyed being in that proximity to um, the city but I did just really miss my house and and appreciated it as home more having been gone from it for a year it was just like there was a, an additional motivation to get back into my house. And I think for me, it was also kind of a realization, like, I think, you know, starting uh, so many of the people who started out with us years ago in the movement have decided, some of them have decided not to live in their tiny houses anymore. And I kind of was wondering around that five-year mark, was this still what I, you know, was want, wanted to do? And that kind of just reminded me that, you know, my love for my house and yeah, this is still my long-term plan. So, and, and that kind of was the, the part of the catalyst for the work that I did, because in addition to building the sunroom space, I redid the decor on the interior, painted and redid my flooring because I had done Airbnb in my house for a little while because I, I still had to pay for the location where my house was sitting where I had been previously. And then I was paying apartment rent. So I Airbnb, Airbnb my house for a few weeks. And that for me was something I had never planned to do because I just didn't want other people in my house. Like this was, you know, my space and I never intended to, to share it. So coming back into it, I needed to make it home again. And so that was part of the remix to make it home in my, you know, kind of my sacred space again. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about the remix that you had already done a screened in porch and was that a mobile structure as well? So when I initially built my house, I had a small screened in porch. So it was like, like five by nine okay. uh, and I had the balcony overhead. And so then probably about a year, year and a half later after my initial build, I expanded that porch so that it was 10 by nine. Yeah, it was 10 by nine. Okay. And so it wasn't that, that porch wasn't, and I removed the overhead balcony. That porch wasn't mobile. So when I would move the house, I would break it down. And, and then once I got to the, a, the, a new location, um, have it put back together again. 
And so that was kind of what I had been doing for the last, you know, four or so years. And then coming out to this space, like I mentioned, I don't intend to move my house from here. So because I'm on a huge farm, it was an opportunity to take advantage of having the space to kind of uh, expand the house a bit. You know, I still didn't want to go too big, but kind of, as I keep saying, my tiny house for me is my retirement plan. So my thought process is, you know, at some point, the sunroom will probably become my first floor bedroom, you know, that kind of deal, thinking ahead, what that looks like and and living in my space going forward. Yeah. So the sunroom replaces some of the porch. It, it, it enclosed yes. some of the porch. And yes, is it? Is it physically attached to the original tiny house? It is. Okay. It is. Yes, it is physically attached to the original tiny house. The tiny house is two of the walls. So it, it's it's like a, a backward L okay. on the back side of, of the tiny house. Okay, so you actually see the outer wall of the tiny house yes. inside the sunroom. Yes. Cool. Yep. Yep. I always like that when you can see an what was an exterior wall in an inside space, like when they take an old building and build something yeah, in front of I it like and you see too. the brick. The brick, yes. Yeah. I, I always love seeing brick inside uh, of a building. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I I have. And I kind of laugh. So one of the, the back door and the back window, I, every time I look at it, I, f- I feel like I should be serving something out of the window. like a food truck or something with with the window looking into the kitchen yeah yeah that is that is funny so do you have to do did you break through it all in your tiny house or do you do you have to exit the tiny house and then enter the sun room you exit the tiny house so i had the the back door so i just leave so that back that what was an exterior back door is now an interior door in the sunroom. So it's, it's just the entrance and exit, um, into the house. Got it. Got it. So what, I mean, how do you use the sunroom? And, and I guess what I'm getting at is like, what does, what does this serve that the tiny house like wasn't doing for you? So I have my, one of the things that happened during the pandemic is my, my role at my, at the job that pays my bills changed. And so I needed to have, you know, everybody was working from home. I've already, I've always worked, well, I've worked from home since 2007. Mm -hmm. So I needed to, with my expanded job role, be able to have my desk out all the time, you know, full time. I also have a, I have like a couple of monitors. So I have a fold down desk inside the tiny house that I would always, you know, take up and down every day. But once you're taking it up and down every day, it's kind of like each morning you're starting all over. You got to figure out where I was when I I finished yesterday. And and to me, it's just like a transition, an adjustment. So I wanted to to be able to have my desk out full time and be able to focus. And and for me, I also, there's some opportunities that I'm working on within you know, kind of the tiny house movement. So I wanted to be able to have a a central space to focus on that and and it be my workspace. It's just something about the continual of, of having the space out and being able to come right back to where you left off that kind of helps with, maybe that's just the way my brain works. Oh no. I, I mean, I agree completely. I've, I've kind of, um, taken over a, a small space in, in our little apartment here and, during the pandemic because it just, we didn't need a space for guests anymore. Right. And I'm never giving it back. <laughs> guests, they can be directed down they the street go, to the hotel. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, just having a bigger monitor, having my, you know, yes, my podcasting yes. equipment, it's set up. I just have to move the microphone exactly. in front of my mouth and exactly. I don't have to do anything. All that set up. Yeah. The time yeah. is eliminated. So yeah, yeah, that that was that was the the main piece of why I wanted this area and then, you know, kind of the the long-term thinking as well. How did you how did you approach the design? Kind of like I approached the design from my <laughs> from my tiny house. 
a piece of graph paper <laughs> is how it yeah. kind of started off. Initially, it, it started off as I was just going to do more of a screened in porch kind of thing. And then over the course of time, I was going to enclose it. And then it ended up becoming as I as I realized what that effort was going to look like and talking to builders, they were like, well, you'll build this out and then you'll spend just as much money redoing everything to make it uh, an enclosed room. So why not just kind of make it happen the first, you know, you're on your first shot out. Yeah. So that's what I, I decided to do. And it was just a piece of graph paper, drawing it out and, and knowing the, um, the way I wanted to use the space and the things that I had that like, I didn't buy anything new. It was still some stuff that I already had that I wanted to incorporate in this space. So just making sure I could accommodate that. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it's always the windows being able to have some sunlight. So I I probably, that's probably since I've not had formal design training, I probably approach it completely wrong, but I approach it from what does, what is my window situation going to look like and then that kind of determines what the room is going to going to look like yeah and it is um you know i'm looking at some pictures of it and yes there are windows just all around (laughs) yes yes now the one thing i did learn this time from designing my tiny house is that i like to have art hanging on the wall and i have so many windows inside the tiny house that i don't have a, a lot of space to hang up my artwork so this time I did learn to have a little more wall space so I could uh, have my artwork. But otherwise I could have just had, I would have been okay with complete uh, a, a room full of windows because I just like that, you know, natural light and yeah. the sunshine. Coming all in. windows all around. Yeah. So is this, is this an insulated like conditioned space or is it? It is. Okay. Nice. It is drywall, insulated drywall the whole nine. The only thing that, um, so this will be, you know, that first winter, you know how that first winter goes in your tiny house when you're trying to (laughs) make sure you've done everything right. Yeah. Yeah. So the only thing that not exactly a hundred percent sure of, so this started out as kind of a deck. So the, the foundation of it isn't like a a house foundation with it closed off. It started off as a deck. So I ended up wrapping it wrapping it just like I normally do the tiny house you know foam board insulation and and some OSB so thinking I'm, I'm thinking the floor might be a little cool like you know sometimes the tiny house floor can be a little cool because you're not on a foundation yeah but it is carpeted and you know working on my heat plan so I, I think that I think it'll be fine nice we'll see you know that that first year, you learn a lot. We'll see. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I am back to, even though I've been in my house six and a half years, I'm back to year one at a new location, you know, hoping you've got all your infrastructure together and, and all of that stuff and 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 hoping you pay, you learned your lessons from, from previous yeah. um, setups. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see soon. New location and new new space. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, I think people who are, you know, romanticizing the tiny house movement think that like, oh, there are these houses on wheels we can just pick up and move anytime. I mean, I've moved my house a couple of times. I dread it. I don't ever want to do it. And I can't imagine that's just the house, but you also move these deck, this modular deck system. It's a massive effort which is why I said this time, like with this bill there, I will not be moving my house. And that's just it, period. Um, And so my friend whose property this is, you know, when, before I started building, and that's why I I like, it's like, we're, we'll, we're stuck together for forever. So we can't fall out or anything because I'm not (laughs) planning to move my house. But yes, my moving my house is a production. It has been a production, um, which is why, and I've always said like, you know, going into the movement in the beginning, because I didn't really have a concept of, of size. I thought I would be moving my house more than I did. But then once I started building it and really realized what, 
28 feet long by eight, six wide by 13, six, you know, looks like it's like, well, no, we won't be moving this as, as much as I thought. And then the other thing is it's nerve wracking to, to move your house because it's like all of my money is going down the street and it's, you know, you, you just kind of want to be sure everything is okay. So yeah. Um, the breakdown and and then so and for me you know after that first year breaking down the house looked like also getting a u-haul for my exterior stuff because i'm bugs i'm always concerned that there are bugs on stuff and so where i could have probably put it inside the house it was like no it can't go inside the house because something might crawl off of it and be in the house so i always get a you know a u-haul to get my outside stuff and get the deck and then get in location and, and do the setup. But even as much effort as it is, you know, the opportunities that I've had to move my house to a completely different location and still have my home in this different location, I it, to me it's it's still worth it. You know, it it's 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 not the it's not as easy as, you know, and, and when people say, well, why don't you just buy an RV? It's not as easy as starting up your RV and moving it to an, a new location. But I still, I wouldn't trade it, you know, for anything because right. I still get to have my house wherever I go. Yeah. Also, it just, I hope that people by now stop asking about the RV because it's just, <laughs> they they're, two, they're two different things. <laughs> they don't. They don't. I just posted a, a video <laughs> on my YouTube page recently and two, three questions for as much money as you spend on that. I would just buy an RV. And it's like, I don't even want to address that question. Like, right. like you haven't thought about what you're going to do in the wintertime with that RV. Are, are you going to always be somewhere right. warm? What happens as it starts to, to depreciate? What happens when you want to hang a picture and you can't hang a picture on your RV wall, but but my my house represents home. It's like to me, there's right. so many factors, and and of course you know it that differentiate a tiny house and an RV, but people just don't stop making that comparison. Yeah, I mean, I could see like RVs have their merits. Like if you want to travel Absolutely. all the time, if you want to travel every week, then by all Absolutely. means, by all buy means. an RV. Absolutely. Yeah. I've yeah. got a travel trailer out here in the yard. That's one of it's my next project so oh, that I can fun. move a, move about, but it's still, to me, it's, it's there, it's apples and oranges, you know, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing about that question is when people, usually when people say it, they might, they try, they say it in such a way that like, they just think you're a complete idiot that you wouldn't have considered going to buy an RV instead of building a tiny house. Like you have, you didn't put any thought into it and you don't have any reasons why a tiny house works more, works better for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it the other thing that I, that I love about the remix is just how it just looks like it was always there. Like you picked up the yes. red from the, the siding accent color and the stairs up to the deck and then the trim around the windows, you know, are also red. So it really all just comes together. Macy Miller, and I, I'm not going to quote it completely accurate, but she commented on my pictures and said something about how it just flowed. The in, she said something like the inside is the outside and the outside is the inside. Yeah. And I was like, I feel so seen, Macy, because that's it. Is it was a whole lot of thought that went into putting that and, and I enjoy it is just the it is one is a reflection of, of me and how I feel about my home. And then, yes, it all had to kind of go together and just just flow. So, yes, thank you for, for seeing that. You're welcome. Yeah. And I think the fact also, I mean, it's just I'm going to put pictures up on the show notes page, but like the inner corner is is black and then the walls and the ceiling and the carpet are white. And it just like and the fact that it's an L shape rather than like just a box, it kind of. It, it makes it look really big, actually. Like, it yes, looks it like does. a huge room. Yes. yes, it does. One lady sent me a note and she was, she was so angry. She was like, you can't even represent the tiny house movement anymore. Like, she was like, you, you've built a huge space. And I'm like, lady, it's not, I mean, depending on who's, who you talk to, a tiny house is 400 square feet, 500 square feet. 
I'm at 470. I still live in a tiny house and I'm going to keep talking about the benefits of tiny house, houses. Right. Like I'm not getting ready to get kicked out, but she was so bent out of shape. Ugh. And I was like, lady, it's not, it's not, it's not that serious. And yeah. it's not that big. Yeah. You're, you're, you were talking about sustainability. I still live in a small space. I, it's yeah. I don't know why there is that tendency the, the tiny house police and my my, <laughs> right. my guess is that that most people who are kind of doing this don't actually live in tiny houses anyway. Exactly. Exactly. But, They're just policing us. Right. Right. I mean, I think that. Yeah, she was been out of shape. In in our culture of just discarding and, you know, it's like, okay, this house doesn't work for me anymore. I'm going to sell it. I'll get something bigger. Yep. You know, to be able to keep your tiny house and put this addition on and really continue to use those resources that were put into your tiny home and just expand on it, I think is, is certainly more sustainable than selling the tiny house or, you know, building something new. I think the same. I think the absolute same. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about tiny house decisions, my signature guide and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is, you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, is a is a pre-built shell a good idea? Um, is a house on wheels better than on the ground and what works better for you? Um, deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or pre-made plans, different types of trailers and more. Uh, then in, the, in part two, we get into the system. So heat water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation. And we're only two thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, SIPs versus stick framed versus advanced framing versus metal framing. Uh, We talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off the table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive Tiny House Decisions is. Uh, it's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full-color drawings, diagrams, and resources, and it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions using the coupon code TINY when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for Tiny House Decisions. Again, that's coupon code TINY when you check out at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. This room was a game changer, even though it's not, it's not huge. It, it just opened the space. It opened kind of my perspective, I would say, um, of, of home. and. I think my dog was happier to be back here than I was. And it was just, she, she's just excited to, to be back home, like in a, in a familiar space. And I saw her energy shift, which was interesting to me. Huh. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be, to have this space and, and have the flexibility. Like I was saying, you know, long-term, I see it as this becomes my bedroom and I don't have to be concerned about climbing the stairs for the loft and and it just you know i i can transition it and just make it work yeah now is your loft is your loft stairs or a ladder stairs, stairs. yeah okay. it's stairs yeah i definitely i've always said i was uh, on the older side of building a tiny house so i definitely knew a ladder wasn't going to be sustainable for long for me yeah i don't think ladders are sustainable for anybody <laughs> I don't recommend it. I do not recommend the latter. Yeah. I have some really cool stairs. It's interesting that you 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 bring up, you know, that you feel like you are on the older side. What, you know, and, and I'm sure you see this too, because you are also somebody who teaches and and offers, you know, kind of offers your tiny house knowledge out to other people. But in from where I'm sitting, there are way more boomers building tiny houses now, now than there are millennials. Absolutely, it's way absolutely. Shifted. Yeah, the movement has definitely shifted in that direction. So now you're younger. 
(laughs) (laughs) The movement has definitely shifted. And then the conversation has shifted, especially, um, and I I don't want to say post-pandemic because we're still still in in the crux of it, but after the hit of the pandemic and people had to start looking at, at, at finances and, and time and family and, you know, every, their entire perspective differently. Mm. The conversation doesn't seem as strange to people now because priorities were put in place, you know, but not by choice for a lot of people. So the, the tiny house movement now makes a lot of sense to people before who just really even put, couldn't even grasp it. Yeah. And, and, and I will say a home that of, of the size that you have now, I think would feel a lot more tangible to, to a much broader group of people. Right. Right. Yeah. For sure. Even like, I mean, we, you know, we both know that families and couples do well in, in the smaller type oh, yeah. of space because we're, we're friends with them, but people who aren't in the movement find it hard to, um, to understand that concept. And I, I remember early on as, as couples and families were starting out in the movement and there were a lot of, you know, blog posts where they would talk about the fact that it had strengthened relationships and marriages because they had to, you know, there wasn't the opportunity to go off into another part of the house and and not deal with whatever was going on. So communication improved and time spent with family improved and, you know, just overall interaction. I think that that is even, I think the pandemic being in lockdown you know, some people either sink or swim as far as as that with their you know families in being you know in in home all the time at home all the time. Yeah. So I think it's we know it's doable, but then for people who haven't ventured, like you said, my house, they can conceive it better that this gives them a little more space and they don't feel like they're on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly could make it possible for, for two people to work from home right? from the tiny house and not, you know, each person could be on a call in almost separate, separate rooms. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you, if, and when you have guests, do they, is the sunroom, um, a sleeping space or is that? It could be, I haven't, I haven't had guests, but I do have a, a futon in here that, lays completely flat to a bed. There's mm-hmm. plenty of floor space. Mm-hmm. And in the inside of the tiny house, I, my couch is, is a nice size couch. And so I, there's plenty, there's actually plenty of space yeah. for guests. I'm, I'm hoping to have my, my nieces and nephews live in Atlanta. So I'm hoping, and they're, they're really tall kids, like <laughs> six, three, six, two, six, oh three, my gosh. six, four. So I'm looking forward to hoping to have them come visit in because we used to when they were younger we used to spend a lot of time together and as I moved into the tiny house we kind of had to we we haven't done it as much so that was one one of the things that I've spoken to them about is having able to have them come and stay and enjoy the the larger space nice are you um I know you've done a lot of different workshops are you do you have anything coming up that any tiny house workshops that you're teaching don't have any workshops per se coming up right now. We still offer, you know, I, I do a, most of my work with Lee Para. Mm-hmm. That's my um, business partner. So we have some recorded, recorded workshops available. What we are launching an initiative that Recommune, which is we're working on the launch within the next month or so. And kind of what we feel like needs to happen now is taking the tiny house movement from individual solutions into collective solutions so that it's more about community and people as a whole. Like, you know, we've done the tiny house as the individual solution for six, seven, you know, eight years now, but now we really need to be thinking about collectively. What does that look like for uh, the better, the the greater good for everyone? So that's the, the direction within Recommune that 
that the work that we're putting together and, and will be launching soon. Nice. And and is that around specific is recommune specifically around like finding parking and places where you can live? That's part of it, but it's 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 more also working with property having people so recommune as in reimagining community, redistributing community, recreating community, so that people are thinking of building community using movable houses and businesses. Because the way community is set up right now, as far as what it's required from an infrastructure perspective, the investment of infrastructure to to build a community with conventional housing, that, you know, eliminates a lot of people from the conversation. But there are so many people who actually do have property that if we could get officials and, and have those conversations where people are open to creating community using movable houses and movable businesses, then you're able to create community in places that that it doesn't currently exist because, you know, those spaces don't have community, people don't have the money to build community, but you're kind of bringing in the community in um, with, the exist, with the existing land. So those are the conversations that, that we want to start having to help people re, you know, reimagine community basically. Yeah. Well, that, how will you facilitate those conversations is, will there, is it like online Zooms, videos, conferences? It's going to be, it's going to be online and we're, we are launching through, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mighty Networks, we're launching oh, yeah. through uh, an initiative through that site so that we create, um, uh, a, and I lost my word for it, but some options for people to be able to gather within yeah. the site to to facilitate conversation and and bring people together to to start those conversations and and go out in and create you know pilot communities etc and within we'll still be hosting our workshops within that format for people who uh you know still want to learn about tiny houses we still will address that but again, kind of moving it to the collective solution. Got it. I love that. And, and I'm very familiar with Mighty Networks because I, I, my online community, Tiny House Engage, is, is on a Mighty Network as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a good very platform. Cool. We might, yeah. might have to pick your brain after yeah. this. You know, Anytime. everybody wants to come pick your brain. <laughs> Anytime, Jill. Anytime. No, don't pick my brain. <laughs> but yeah, I might want to ask you some questions. Yeah, sure, sure. So in, in all of the places that you've parked your tiny house, I know you've had uh, safety issues with, with the people who live there. Have you ever yes. run into issues with zoning or, or legality of your, your house? You have as well. I have. That's how I got kicked out of the city of Charlotte. Ugh. And I was in, I had been in someone's backyard for two years and it was kind of a cool setup because the house faced a street and it was almost like a, an inverted L as well. So the house faced the street one way and then my tiny house faced the street in the back of the house. So you really couldn't tell in the, the backyard was so long. You really couldn't tell I was in that person's backyard. It just kind of looked like a house yeah. sitting there. And of course I had wrapped the bottom of the house. So you, you didn't know it was on wheels. And I had, I had lived like that for successfully for a little over two years. And then the neighborhood was, is, was changing and building code enforcement and was in and out of the neighborhood. And I don't know, I'm not exactly sure. It was so somebody somehow started paying attention to my house and they had cited the house owner, the property owner for having an unpermitted ADU. Mm. they couldn't tell that it was on wheels. So they, they told him to, that he needed to get the permit for it. Okay. Well, well, they were just telling him to go through the proper process. And so then I knew I had to have the conversation with them to tell them that it was on wheels. And so we talked for, I'm going to say almost four, four months. And the interesting thing is zoning was okay with it. They were like, you know, we're for, we're, we're okay with it. If, yeah. if you can get building code enforcement to be okay with it. 
And everyone that I had spoken with at Building Code Enforcement, like we had put together this plan. They were, I was working with my architect. They needed to see the review of, of my structural engineer um, of my type for my tie down plan. And I had all of that stuff. Wow. And we were, what they were suggesting is that they were going to go through and do an ex- inspection. And, you know, if they found something that they wanted me to fix, that, that was fine. But per their inspection, however it turned out, then they would allow me to leave, you know, oh. leave the structure. And that was going to, that was cool for me. Like, they were like, we'll have to cut through one of the walls and see the interior structure. I'm fine with that. If you all will do that, I can repair it, you know, after you're done, if you'll just leave me alone and let me live in my house. And we were making excellent progress. And then someone said, before we got to the inspection piece, someone said they wanted to send it up to their boss to have their boss review it. And the boss shot it down. You know, I was probably he probably hadn't even had the email for 15 minutes. And this was like, like I said, four or five months worth of work. Ugh. And he shot it down completely to say it was, did you say it was a park model? Something he said, and it, it doesn't fit, blah, blah, blah. And everything that he said was part of the initial conversation. Like it wasn't, he he hadn't discovered that it was on wheels. Like like they knew it was on wheels. Like he was acting like he had just discovered it was on wheels mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. No, they, we, we know that. That's why we're in this conversation. But no one that was on the email thread that I had been speaking with for the four or five months seemed to be willing to respond to him and say, you know, yeah, we know that. And we're, we're considering this process and blah, blah, blah. It was like, he shut the conversation down completely and everybody went mute. So I ended up having to, to move the house as a result. That sucks. Yeah, it does. I I just feel like, so like the work that, that we're planning to do with recommune and the conversation that we want to have with building you know, community with, with movable houses and businesses. I don't think it's something that really is going to appeal to the larger cities like a Charlotte. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't need that. But when you have more of a, a smaller city, rural city, rural town that needs to, like the, the area where I am, there's a, small, there's a small town city right next door that has a small college. And all of those college students go into Charlotte for, you know, entertainment, for, you know, for all of that. But if we could build that within that town versus having to actually build physical buildings and, you know, the, the, the cost outlay for that, but you build community by bringing businesses in, movable businesses. And then you even have with movable businesses, you even have the opportunity to say, okay, this, this particular business isn't doing well in this area. What, what do they need? What would do better? So then you roll that one out and bring another one in. And so, and so there's, you know, there's really not the loss of, you know, a ended lease or a business just not doing well, floundering and just not doing well. But then you're able to keep the monies that those college students are taking to that next big city spending. You're able to keep that within your community. You're able to keep them, you know, yeah. build your community that way. And I think that is more of, of a conversation that, you know, appeals to a smaller city. And I think they'll see value in it versus a Charlotte. Like they don't, they don't need to have the conversation. I mean, in their minds, they they don't need need to have have a different conversation. Exactly. Exactly. Like to, to address the, you know, the houseless community, the opportunity for, for housing and the affordable housing conversation. But as of right now, they don't feel like it's, it's a necessary conversation. Yeah. I mean, things are happening and unfortunately they're more happening on the West coast, but yeah, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago about um, the laws that were just passed in Portland that uh, Portland, Oregon, that essentially allow any tiny house on wheels or RV to be used as an ADU. Wow. And basically it's, it's acknowledging the fact that we have a shortage, a severe shortage of housing. And if we actually, if we actually want to make housing more affordable and to have more of it, we have to make it dramatically easier because going through, as you just, you know, kind of alluded to in your story about four months of work to try to get this thing passed. And then you ultimately get told, no, like most people don't have the the time or the organizational skills or just like the, that bureaucratic stuff is hard. Like, 
my eyes glaze over as soon as I start reading it. So it's like, exactly. We can't expect individual people to go through this process over and over and over and over again. Exactly. Yeah. I read an article, I'm going to say a couple of months ago that said there was no city in the United States where someone making minimum wage could afford, was it a house to buy a house or an apartment or something like that? It was just saying, you know, there, there's nowhere. So where are these people supposed to live? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, tiny houses aren't like a solution to every problem, but they certainly help a lot. And I, I, I do. I say that all the time. I do think that the, the idea of, of bringing movable businesses into the model and being able to appeal to smaller towns and, and kind of connect tiny and mobile to their interests. That's the only way that you get Mm -hmm. things done. Yeah. Show them, show them how to, how it's going to help them. Yeah. So are you, are you off grid or are you connected to the, to the main house? I am connected to one of the outbuildings here. Okay. And so I'm connected there, but there is no main company for Wi-Fi out here. And so I had to go through one of the solutions, the, the RVIT guy who does. Okay. He does Wi-Fi for, for RVs, you know, mobile people. That's the, the option that I am going with. And, and fingers are crossed that some of the, the big companies come out here soon. The RVIT guy. Well, you just you just gave me a name. I gave, for him, another, I gave him a plug for another interview on the on the show. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You should talk to him. His, his solution, like it has saved it saved my life because I just couldn't imagine being in a location. You know how you just open your phone and you expect to see somebody's Wi-Fi, just right. See something. Nothing. There's nothing out. Nada. There. Nada. Yikes. And I was trying so hard to get um, our spectrum to consider coming out. But apparently where I am is too far off of the main highway and it's cost prohibitive for them. Um, and, and there's nobody else saying that there's a need. So that conversation didn't go very far. Okay. So yes, you should talk to the RVIT guy. He's cool. got a a very cool solution that is is saving my life right now. Well, that's that's quite a plug. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I need to let them know. I'm, I'm going to need some money off of this. <laughs> um, well, I think last time we talked, I usually ask guests for, for book or resource recommendations. But I wanted to ask you, you know, you've, you've told us about uh, Recommune, and we've talked about tiny house trailblazers, recommune.org. Mm-hmm. Are there any tiny house dwellers or people who you want to shine a light on that deserve, you know, people's attention? I've kind of been disconnected from the community. I don't have anyone that I can, and I'm going to regret saying I don't have anyone I can think of right now, because as soon as we're done, I'm going to think of somebody. Um, but a, I have a book recommendation. So, okay. A good. So it, for me, it's the, um, the, the question that we always get is, you know, kind of about the downsizing process. How do you, mm. how do you do the downsizing? How does that work? How do you make it easier? And I think in addition to being able to see themselves living in a smaller space, I think people just find the task of downsizing and minimalism and all that kind of stuff daunting. And so a good friend of mine, Christine Platt, wrote a book about minimalism, and it's the Afro-Minimalist Guide to Living with Less. But it's not just, a, it's, it's, so I've always said I'm not a minimalist because, you know, when we, I was first starting in the movement and there was like, you, you're supposed to have six shirts and 10 pairs of pants and, you know, that never resonated with me because, you know, I was building a tiny house with a clot, a walk-in closet and I, you know, corporate America, like that just never fit with me and, and my style. So I've never really considered myself a minimalist, but her guide approaches it from a different perspective and it approaches it from the perspective so that representation is also there for, for someone like me who didn't see themselves 
in the the state, you know, the conventional the or the mainstream uh, mainstream movement. And it also she also kind of talks to for people of color, black people and people of color, why living with less is is hard. And it's kind of the same concept concept that I've spoken about in the tiny house movement, where I say it's a harder sell for people of color who are still trying to achieve conventional home ownership. And if you look at the numbers year after year, they're at the bottom of the list for are achieving that. So when you start talking about a tiny house, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about that. I'm still trying to get, you know, what's considered the American dream. And so she kind of has incorporated the, the background of why, you know, what our relationship is to stuff and why our relationship to stuff is is as it is. And and but it's also a guide for everyone. So it's not just for people of color, but it's an excellent book. And for me, it's kind of cool because she also has an audio version and she's actually doing the reading. So as I'm as I'm writing, it's like my friend is reading a book to me, which I think is kind of is kind of cool. So yes, I would I don't have anybody that I can think of right now to shout out, but I would definitely shout well, her. You just you just shouted out her and her book. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, yeah, that I, that counts. Thank you, Ethan, for letting You're me welcome. pull that back. Together. Yeah, totally. And that's okay. There's another another person to have on the show. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. To talk about Afro minimalism. Absolutely. I admit I had not heard the term afro minimalism but i'm and she is on instagram more. as the afro minimalist so okay. you, that's how you can find her and i can also make a, a introduction cool. for you for sure all right well jewel pearson thank you so much it's been great to to catch up and congrats on your tiny house remix it's awesome thank you so much ethan it's always a pleasure i appreciate you having me on thank you so much to jewel pearson for being a guest on the show today you can find the show notes including a complete transcript Lots of photos of the Tiny House remix and links to Jules' work online at thetinyhouse.net slash 186. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 186. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.